Hello, friends. Welcome to Exploring the Scriptures with Springdale Baptist Church. This week, Brother Stacy shares a message from Mark chapter 6 that reminds us we are not defined by our past, but we are defined by the truth of who Jesus was and who he is. And here's Brother Stacy with the message. I was want you to turn with me to Mark chapter number 6, the Gospel of Mark. Second among the four Gospels as it's written, but probably first, probably the earliest of the four Gospels. So that's gospel, the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 1. I titled this message this morning, and I, and I, I don't know, I thought there's another title that I might want to put on it later on. You'll see what it is, maybe. But is this not the carpenter? Is this not the carpenter? And as we look here, you'll find, uh, if we can go... From chapters 1 through 5, we have the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. We have the temptation of Christ, the baptism. We have all kinds of healings going on, all kinds of miracles. There is uh, uh, those that are, that are set free from demon possession, those that are freed from disease, those that just, uh, just come and find Jesus and ask him, would you, would you heal, uh, heal my child? And, and, and just right where they were, he, he, he did that work and... Uh, so many good things that were going on uh, around Jesus. And then we get to chapter number 6, and Jesus comes to his hometown. And as we titled, Is This Not the Carpenter? I want you to see what happens when Jesus goes home. And many times, I think, in the lives of Christians, it can happen to us. It can, it can happen that we are kind of saddled with uh, what, uh, what has happened and what has been in our past, and, and we sort of forget uh, forget that God is able to get us past our past, to get us past those things. And my Wednesday night crowd, we've been going through the book of Mark, and we've made it six chapters so far. And and uh, so so I hope you'll forgive me if I repeat a little bit of what we've looked at from Mark chapter number six. But you've probably already forgot that anyway. So let's just roll on with it then. Mark chapter six and verse number one. Then he went out from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to, to, to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Who did this man get, who did, I'm sorry, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hand? Is this not the carpenter? That's what they ask. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us. So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works, no uh, mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went out into the villages in a circuit teaching. Now we see that, that last part there, it was like if Jesus would come to Ripley. If Jesus was in town, he would, he would, he would stop here at Springdale. I'd like to think he'd stop here first. But I don't know where he'd stop first. But he'd stop here at Springdale. And then he'd head over to First Baptist. Then over to West Ripley. Then over to Mountain View. Then he would go to Lowry. And then he would, he would make a circuit. He had a plan. He would, he would make a path. He would go where 
ever they needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many times what would happen is in the synagogues, which were Jewish cultural centers, not churches. These were not local churches. These were centers in which you may have uh, family gatherings taking place. You may have birthdays. You would have worship services and you would have atonement services. You would have things like that that would go on in these places. But you would not have, uh, it, it was not relegated just to worship. So these were not houses of God, but these were where people would be gathered at certain times during the week. And so whenever people gathered there, that's where Jesus would be. That's the same type of, uh, uh, th same type of thing Paul did when he went on his journeys. He would go and where the people gathered, that's where he would preach. Out of that assembly, those that would get saved, those that would believe in the message of the gospel, he would pull them out, he would disciple them, teach them, stay with them a while. And before long, there was a church usually in a house somewhere. And so that's kind of the missionary strategy here that Jesus used, that Paul used, and uh, kind of the strategy we ought to use. Wherever the people are who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, church, that's where we need to be. Amen, anybody? Wherever the people are that need to hear the gospel, that's where we need to be. That's where we need to be. Now, I preached this at the jail Thursday, I, at least part of this, and it may have a different slant on it today. But I, I expect you to be listening just nearly as good as they were listening uh, in the jail because I think uh, some of the principles, they apply just exactly the same for you and I because here's something I know about us. We're sinners that are saved by the grace of God. If you're saved, you're saved by the grace of God. It's by faith through grace. It, it, is, it is nothing to do with our works, with our past, or, or what we somebody projects to be our future. It is that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've trusted Him. We've called on Him. And so as we move throughout these few verses here, just a short passage here, I want you to see something. The first thing is this from verse number 2. His past did not define Him. His past did not define him. If you look with me here, and I turn one page too many. If you look with me in verse number two, it says this. It says, uh, it says, as he came in, in there, he went the Sabbath. Uh, when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Now, here's a couple of phrases I want you to sort of latch on to. Where did this man get these things? Where did this man get these things. Now, if you look at that, I want you to understand something about his past. They knew him. This was home. This is where he had grown up. This is where he had, uh, had started his ministry. This is where the work of Christ had begun. And so uh, whenever they looked at him, they were looking at each other and saying, where did this man get these things? Now, there's a couple things happening right here that I want you to understand this morning. First of all is when they say this man, they were looking at Jesus Christ. They were talking about the Messiah, the Son of God. They were talking about God incarnate who had come to this earth in the flesh. They were talking about the one that all prophecy had pointed to, the one that actually back in the Garden of Eden had been prophesied about. They were talking about Him. It was Jesus and yet they looked at him and looked this way and they said, where did this man, where did this man get these things? All right, so this man, that's one phrase I want you to latch on to for a minute. 
The second phrase I want you to latch on to is these things. Now, here's something that I'll challenge you as a child of God and every one of us. Do people see these things going on in your life? I'm not talking about you, uh, you uh, 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 casting demons out of somebody. I'm not talking about you being able to heal the sick. God knows what you can do and God knows what you can't do. He knows what the, the disciples' mission and ministry was and then they later became the apostles so they were eyewitnesses of Christ. And so the things they did historically were a little bit different from the things you and I are able to do. But there ought to be some these things in your life that cause people to look at you and say, these things happen because he's been with God. These things are occurring in his life because he has spent time with the Master. Because he has studied the Word of God. Because he has given himself to the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. They said, how did this man... Now, there's some more finger pointing in that little phrase right there, this man. More than just one finger pointing. There's a lot of finger pointing going on in him because they knew him as who? As the carpenter. They knew him as the carpenter. They knew him as, as the, these other folks, the rest of his family, as their brother or their son. They knew him as just the guy, just here's the guy hammering in nails. Here's the guy sanding on tabletops. Here's the guy building the seesaws for the playground. Here's the guy that just did all the stuff, really, that nobody else would do. He made an honest living, an honest day's work for honest day's pay. He did all that. But they said, how did this guy, we've heard about him casting out demons, doing miracles, preaching and teaching in the synagogue. We've heard about him doing all this. How did this guy get these things? How did he do that? Is it ever asked about you? How in the world did you get to do this? How, how did you get to be that? If these things include the glory of God showing out in your life, then it ought to cause some people to ask questions because you know what happens when you get saved, when you give your life to the Lord, there is a change that happens in your life. Matter of fact, if there is not a change, then there is no Jesus in your life because when Jesus shows up, if we know anything, uh, Wednesday night crowd from going through the first five chapters here so far, when Jesus shows up, stuff starts changing. Things get different. The action picks up when Jesus shows up. So for you in your life, if there's some these things going on, it's because He showed up in your life and there ought to be some evidence of these things happening in the life of a child of God. Look at your life. Look at the people around you. Look at how they look at you on Mondays when you've supposedly met with Christ on Sundays, is there anything different about you than about the rest of them? There ought to be this question asked about you. How did this man do these things? How in the world 
did that happen? Well, he was healing, he was teaching, he was preaching, he was prophesying, he was doing these things. Listen, whatever God asks you to do, that's what God expects you to do. Whatever he asks you to do is what he expects you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. So listen, it ought to be a challenge for us that they look at us and say, how did that guy get to do that? That's what happens to me everywhere. Every time I go somewhere with my wife, they'll say, how did that guy wind up with her? Y'all ever notice that? Uh, we, did, we, did not, uh, we did not meet on a blind date. We, we absolutely did not because somebody would question, was Michelle blind? Was she? But I thank God love, love is that blind. But, because, but listen, how did that happen? How did that happen? When you've met with Christ, your past takes a back seat to what God is currently doing in your life. Remember that. Your past takes a back seat to what God is currently doing. His family didn't define him. As we look in, in uh, verse number 2 here again, where did this man get these things and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hand? Is he not the carpenter, listen to this, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. His family did not define him. You may have some family in your background that defines you in a good way that you are very proud of, and you may have some family in your background that sort of define you Another direction that you, you, maybe you're not as proud of some of these. But I want you to just hold on for a second. And here's what I'm going to tell you about family. Love, love, love your family. Did y'all hear him? That's an easy amen right there. Love your family. Because you are not defined merely by your family. There's some in your family that may give you a great name. There's some that may tear your name down. But whatever the case is, listen, that does not define you. You love your family. I don't care who it is because as Christ would make clear on the cross when he said it is finished. By the way, that's the other title that I had for this is it is not finished yet. But Jesus said it is finished on the cross. It means that he finished it. He finished the plan of redemption and salvation and grace through faith. He finished all that at the cross for everyone. Whether his family was family like these guys he mentions here that he's proud of. Maybe his family he didn't even know he had. It's Jesus knew from the beginning of time that you'd be walking around in Ripton, Mississippi wondering which way to go. Wonder what 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 direction would I take? Jesus knew when he went to the cross that he was going for you, whether you made him proud in your past or not, whether you had had caused him to hold your life up with pride and dignity, or you you you've just kind of let let the name down. Christ knew what you'd be from point A to point Z. He knew exactly, exactly 
who you'd be and what you'd be. Uh, what you'd be. And, and I'm telling you, love your family, but do not let your family define you. Whatever their shortcomings, whatever their failures are, those are not to be your shortcomings and your failures. Whatever their gains are, whatever their successes are, those are not to be your gains or your successes. You see, because when we stand before God at judgment, He is not going to look at me and say, Stacy, did Cody do the right thing? He's not going to look at Cody and say, Cody, did Connor do the right thing? No, one day Connor's going to stand for himself. One day you are going to stand before God and you're going to stand for yourself. Regardless of how good, how bad, or how somewhere in the middle, which is where most of us live. Just how indifferent we are. Don't let your family define who you are. You be God's. You be God's. You be His. And let Him define you. Also, His works didn't define Him. Won't you look with me? It says they were offended by Him, but I want you to look at verse number 4 here. It said, But Jesus said to him, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. In other words, they looked at Him, they were used to Him, they knew Him, they had seen Him around the way, so there wasn't any really big deal to Him. But oh, if they would have looked through eternity's eyes, they would have seen what a big deal Jesus really was. But look at what happens. It says here in verse, uh, uh, verse number 5, it says, Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, I want you to, I'm not asking a trick question here. I'm asking you a legit question. Is there anything Christ could not have done in that town? Somebody... I see a bunch, of, a bunch of shaking head. No. There's nothing Christ could not have done in that town. Don't think for a minute he was not powerful to work any mighty work that was to be done. But there was something happening here that he would need to show his disciples and teach his disciples as they were following him. What he was showing them was that there will be some people that do not hear what you have to say. There will be some people who do not do what you say to do. There will be some people who will not follow you. There are some people who will not get with the program. Did Jesus let that define him? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, and I want you to hold on to this. Jesus was able to do whatever Jesus wanted to do. But if you look here and you look deeper into what he said, it said that Jesus marveled. Now, the language here will catch you. It said Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Jesus is not forcing you to do anything. 
Jesus is not going to make you follow him. He's not going to make you do one thing, and he's not going to make you not do something else. Jesus has made you a free agent of choice today. And you choose whether or not you'll follow him. You choose whether or not you'll follow him. It says here he can do no mighty work here. It was not because he was not able. It was because he didn't have correspondence from the crowd. He didn't have anybody else willing. It amazes me whenever Jesus walked up and there was this guy laying at the pool of Bethesda and he says this, this word to him. He said, Wilt thou be made whole? Would it not have been easy for Jesus just to say, You're whole? But he asked him, Would you be willing to be made whole? Would you be willing to receive healing? Would you be willing to be what God would have you to be? Would you be made whole today? Here's where we are. God has given us a choice in this life. And here's what else I know. I'm not naive enough to think that every one of you are going to go back to your hometown or going to go back to some of your relatives are going to go back to those places that know you so well. Once there's been a change, listen, that really does not matter to some people in your past how much you've changed, how much better you are, how much of Christ is in you. That really doesn't show up at first glance or that second hello after you've not seen them for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Jesus was saying this. He said, I can't believe that they don't believe. But his work did not define him. If he let his work define him, that at this point, as we look through chapter number 6 here, we see that it wasn't very long until they were getting news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. That his ministry didn't work in his hometown and his, be, his best friend and, and his uh, uh, way paver, the guy that came through, the one that, who was the forerunner of Christ, who was telling about Jesus, repent, every one of you in the name of Jesus. That guy was beheaded and then he comes up on a crowd of people, over 5,000 in this valley, who are passing out fainting because they don't have any food. Now Jesus, as he let this period here define him just because of the works he was able to do here, he would have stopped. And we would have had to rewrite history about whether or not 5,000 got fed or how many of them died of starvation there in that valley that day. We would have had to rewrite history about all the other miracles that took place. Oh, we would have had to rewrite the history of whether or not Lazarus did really come forth out of the grave. We'd have to rewrite that history because if Jesus was defined by his past, by his family, or by his works, then none of it would have counted. None of it would have been good enough if he let everything around him define him, but he didn't. And that brings me to the fourth thing that I want you to get and I want you to understand at the very end here. After he marveled because of their unbelief, it says, then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. 
His battles did not stop him. His battles did not stop him. And I wonder, for us, I don't know how high your threshold is for battles or for trials or for tough times and tests. I, uh, I guess it remains to be seen how you'll respond when adversity comes. When life is just kicking you up one side and down the other, how will you respond when that happens? Because it's going to happen. As Christians, as the carriers of the light, do we fold that blanket up over the light and do we stuff it in our back pocket and just, just, uh, just quit? Just stop being what God's designed us to be? Do we just quit on God? Here's what we realize and we recognize from Jesus. He never quit on us. Because had he allowed all these other things to define him and him not keeping on being faithful, keeping on going around, he met up with people. They looked like sheep without a shepherd. They were all scattered out, running every which way. Didn't have enough food. But Jesus said, his disciples even said, we need to just send them away, let them go buy food. But Jesus said this. He said, you give them food. He was teaching them how to be shepherds. And he didn't let his circumstance stop him. Nothing, nothing ever made Jesus quit. Nothing. And the title I wanted to give this, not just is this not the carpenter, but it is not finished yet. The work that you've got to do for the Lord. The witness that you ought to be for the Lord. The gospel that has to be shared with the lost and dying world. That work is not finished. The work of redemption is complete. God, Christ has made you one with God through His blood. But from that point on, the work is never finished. So has some situation made you quit? Has some situation made you stop? Has some situation made you call time out? Had a chance to watch a little bit of college basketball yesterday. When they get wore out, when they get beat up, when they get when they're maybe maybe somebody was hurt but not bad enough to stop the game, you know what the coach would do? Time out. Time out. Well, God didn't build any timeouts into our life. He did build periods of rest. He did build periods of revival. But for the regenerated one, he said, you keep fighting the good fight. Jesus, whenever he was met with, uh, with maybe, maybe what some would consider a defeat, compared to what he had been doing already in chapters 1 through 5, 
He couldn't do much there in his hometown. But you know what he did? He woke up and he went about the villages in the circuit teaching. Teaching, preaching, healing, feeding folks when there wasn't enough food to feed folks. He went about the town being Jesus, being who he was. He did not quit, and he admonishes you to do the same. Do not quit. Do not quit. I'm not even sure who needed to hear this today. There's some of you may just be discouraged about, maybe not about church, but about your job. Maybe you're discouraged about some friendship or some relationship that you had just built everything into and you've seen it sort of start to crumble and fall. And You need to know God said don't quit. God said keep going. Maybe if you're at the church and you, you see, uh, we, we hadn't seen that many folks make commitments to the Lord. I mean really really give their heart to the Lord and, and you desire to see God doing something, well, I promise you, nobody desires to see people saved any more than your pastor does and the rest of your staff does. And I know in your heart you do too. Do not quit. Because Jesus didn't. And he left us the example. I'm going to ask you to stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Have your battles stopped you? <laughs> 